Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. We start off with our monthly roundup of prison disturbances, as compiled by Perilous Chronicle, followed by some recent prison news. At about 12.30 a.m. on July 3rd, two teenagers at Hogan Street Regional Youth Center in St. Louis, Missouri, locked their supervisor in a bathroom before breaking a window and using tied-together blankets to escape the facility. There is no further public information regarding whether or not the 16- and 17-year-olds have been rearrested. On July 4th, in New Morgan, Pennsylvania, at the Abraxas Academy, a private youth detention facility, an incident that began as a fight between two teenage prisoners became what prison officials are calling a riot involving more than 50 teenage prisoners. 19 local police departments responded to the youth uprising, which lasted more than five hours. According to prison officials, the facility was significantly damaged, including the pipes, the fire alarms, and video surveillance system. Officials report that two teenage prisoners and one prison guard were treated for minor injuries. At around 3 a.m. on Friday, July 7th, two prisoners escaped the Bi-State Detention Facility in Texarkana, Arkansas. Allegedly, they escaped in street clothes from their fourth-floor cell in jail, but no information has been released on how they managed to get past staff or locked doors. The prisoners then broke through the cinder blocks, climbed a pipe, and knocked a hole through concrete to exit the jail from the second floor and then fled. As of August 1, 2023, the two prisoners have yet to be recaptured. On July 14th, one prisoner escaped by cutting off her ankle bracelet from the Bridges of America work release program in Bradenton, Florida, with aid from another detainee. Allegedly, a coworker and community center roommate helped cut off the monitor and threw it in the bushes of the restaurant they worked together as part of the work release program. The prisoner was recaptured on July 19th in Jacksonville, Florida. The coworker was arrested for aiding an escape. On the morning of Sunday, July 23rd, three prisoners escaped the Warren County Community Correctional Center in Turtle Creek Township in Lebanon, Ohio. Allegedly, the three prisoners breached a window and then fled by foot from the facility. Two prisoners were recaptured by police shortly after the escape. The third prisoner was recaptured on July 27th in Middleton, Ohio. On the morning of Monday, July 24th, two prisoners escaped from the Carroll County Jail in Huntington, Tennessee. No information about their escape has been provided. Both prisoners were recaptured on Tuesday, July 25th in Jackson, Tennessee. Two teenage prisoners at the Golden Peak Youth Services Center on Lookout Mountain campus in Golden, Colorado, used a fire extinguisher as a weapon against guards and other youth prisoners. According to official internal documents from the facility, the prisoners sprayed guards, used the extinguisher and chairs to break multiple windows and exit signs, and then barricaded themselves in the upper quadrant while gathering glass to use glass as weapons. 
The standoff lasted for more than an hour before both teens were arrested by responding law enforcement personnel from the Golden Police Department and the Jefferson County Sheriff. The Colorado Department of Human Services reports that there were no injuries to staff or other prisoners. On the morning of Monday, July 24th, four prisoners escaped from Bend County Jail in Las Animas, Colorado. According to sheriff officials, the prisoners bunched up the sheets to make it look like they were still in bed, broke through the sheetrock ceiling of their cell, crawled through the attic, and escaped through the back of the jail. Two prisoners were recaptured on Monday in Las Animas, Colorado. Another prisoner was found deceased later on Monday in Pueblo, Colorado, allegedly due to an overdose. The fourth prisoner has yet to be recaptured as of August 1st, 2023. On the evening of Thursday, July 27th, two prisoners escaped from Macon County Jail in Oglethorpe, Georgia. According to sheriff officials, two prisoners climbed through the jail's air conditioner vent. Staff didn't realize the prisoners had escaped until the following day, 5.30 p.m. on Friday. One prisoner was recaptured in Columbus, Georgia on July 28th. The other prisoner has yet to be recaptured as of August 1st. At 8 p.m. on Friday, July 29th, 13 youth prisoners held at the Los Perdinos Juvenile Hall in Los Angeles, California, reportedly assaulted guards, escaped their units, freed prisoners from an adjacent unit, and attempted to escape by scaling the walls of the facility. According to Interim Probation Chief Guillermo Vieira Rosa, seven of the youth assaulted guards with pieces of broken furniture before exiting their unit. The youth prisoners broke the window of an adjacent unit from which six other youth prisoners joined them on the facility grounds in an attempted escape. Prison officials say that the event lasted several hours and multiple law enforcement agencies responded to quell the uprising. Probation department officials report the use of riot gear and a sheriff's helicopter. One 18-year-old managed to escape the prison grounds but was recaptured in a nearby golf course. According to officials, there were no serious injuries to the youth prisoners or prison guards involved. On Monday evening, July 31st, five prisoners attempted to escape from the Santa Barbara County Jail in Santa Barbara, California. According to sheriff officials, five prisoners were found in an unauthorized area during a routine linen exchange in which they defeated one layer of security. No other information has been provided. The GEO Group's detention facilities in California have once again been the location for brutal treatment and striking resistance. Back in 2020, when COVID spread rapidly across U.S. prisons, protesters housed at GEO's California ICE facilities brought attention to dangerous conditions by going on hunger strikes. Two years later, detainees struck again in protest of the $1 a day pay they earn for cleaning and otherwise maintaining the prisons. While California's minimum wage is now $15.50, ICE facilities are allowed to pay just $1 a day by ICE's own, quote, performance-based national detention standards. These standards justify the low wage by calling the work program voluntary, but detainees say they are retaliated against when they do not participate, and that wages are essential to fund commissary purchases as the food served by detention center is inadequate or inedible. The UCLA Luskin Institute on Inequality and Democracy has produced a report on the situation entitled $1 a Day, 
labor conditions within California immigrant detention centers. The ACLU is also supporting the strikers with a lawsuit, which prompted California's OSHA to fine the GEO group $104,510 in December 2022. The UCLA report explains that the filing of grievances significantly increased after the strike began, as GEO staff used disciplinary write-ups to punish people for participating. More violent measures followed the lawsuit. In March, ICE and GEO employees in full riot gear and wielding batons and pepper spray confronted the depleted hunger strikers. They forcibly removed some strikers from a dorm, shoving others to the ground. As the protests have continued, people have inspired and been inspired by each other. One man in Mesa Verde said that hunger strikers in California heard about similar actions in the Tacoma Detention Center and in the ICE-affiliated Aurora, Colorado facility. Quote, we live in the same conditions they're facing all over the place, he said, so we're all supporting each other. People as far as Basile, Louisiana, and the ICE processing center there have launched hunger strikes in communication and in collaboration with the California protesters. As a record-breaking heat wave sweeps across the country, at least nine inmates have died from cardiac arrest in Texas state prisons with no central air conditioning since mid-June. Texas Department of Criminal Justice refuses to associate any of these deaths with heat exhaustion, but loved ones confirm that these heart failures are due to extreme heat exposure. Although Texas prisons have not officially counted a heat-caused death since 2012, more than two-thirds of Texas's 100 state prisons contain no central air conditioning. Inmates describe temperatures regularly go past 100 degrees this time of year in their cells, and many must flood their toilets and lay down in the water to prevent overheating. On July 18th, loved ones gathered at the Texas State Capitol for a press conference, demanding lawmakers enforce air conditioning installments in all Texas prisons. Tanya Naranya, mother of John Southards, who died of cardiac arrest on June 28th at Huntsville Unit, spoke out about her son's death at the press conference. She described the conversation she had with John just hours before his death. He complained he had to drink water out of his toilet because it was colder than the sink water and that he was having trouble breathing in his cell from the heat. His body was covered in a heat rash when he died. In June, a federal court repealed California's ban on private immigration detention facilities. The ban, a result of law AB 32, was aimed at both immigration and criminal detention facilities run by corporations such as the GEO Group, CoreCivic, and Management and Training Corp. The ban remains in place for private prisons. Jackie Gonzalez, Policy Director of Immigrant Defense Advocates, explained that AB 32 was introduced at the height of the Trump era when there was an attempt to aggressively expand immigration detention through private corporations. The ban lifts as the COVID-era border restrictions known as Title 42 expire. Their expiration has increased the numbers of people detained in immigration facilities where abuses such as moldy food, overuse of solitary confinement, and fatal medical care continue. The Los Angeles Times investigated reports of terrible conditions at immigration detention facilities in 2020 and then sued the Department of Homeland Security for abuse at them nationwide. Izzy Garden, a spokesman for California Governor Gavin Newsom, who signed AB 32 in October 2019, called the outcome disappointing. Quote, when California became the first state in the nation to ban private for-profit prisons, we set a new goalpost for justice, he said. History will not look kindly on this industry that commodifies individuals and routinely violates basic human rights. 
The U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, contracts with the private prison company GeoGroup to provide electronic monitoring of people detained for immigration procedures. ICE uses electronic monitoring to ensure that detainees will appear for immigration hearings, attend check-ins, and send in paperwork. There is no conclusive data that electronic monitoring is necessary or even helpful with compliance rates in these areas. The government's own studies find that simply having attorney leads to higher compliance rates than electronic monitoring. Yet under the Biden administration, the number of immigrant families and individuals on electronic monitoring has exploded. From roughly 87,000 active participants, the number has grown to more than 200,000. Between August 2020 and June 2022, almost 500,000 people were monitored under this government program. This expansion of electronic monitoring has been a windfall for GeoGroup, the second largest private prison company in the country. The company is under a five-year 2.2 billion contract with ICE. People assigned to wear the electronic monitors, a form of digital ankle shackle, report that the devices malfunction frequently. They lose power, causing case managers to report the wearer for absconding or damaging the machinery. They take a long time to charge, during which the person wearing them must remain within a cord's length of an electrical outlet and can cause burns or painful chafing. The devices also gather an enormous amount of personal information, including names, addresses, social security numbers, locations, friends, family, associations, vehicle numbers, and whereabouts. Laura Rivera, an attorney with Just Futures Law, worried, I don't think the government can be trusted to handle this volume of sensitive data about immigrants and persons in the United States. And now we close our episode with a feature created by students as part of Dr. Nicole Siegel's Inside Out program at Indiana University. As mentioned on the show previously, the Inside Out program was started as a means of bringing together campus-based students with incarcerated students for a semester-long course held in a prison, jail, or other correctional setting. This feature was written, recorded, and edited by students inside and outside of the prison walls. Content warning for repeated mentions of sexual harm. James S. Gordon from the book Transforming Trauma. Hope. Hope includes our expectations and desire that something will happen. It is also more deeply our trust that what happens will somehow serve and benefit us. I like that. Only when we are stuck in our emotions, when we replay them endlessly, like a needle jumping in the scratch groove of a vinyl record, are they likely to warp our minds, damage our bodies, and distort our relationships? And there you have it, from Gotti. Hi, I'm Hales. I'm a senior at Indiana University studying law and public policy with a minor in communication and public advocacy. Hey, I'm Sylvie. I'm currently a sophomore at Indiana University studying psychology with a minor in criminal justice. 
Hello, family. I'm Gotti, and I'm currently doing a five-year sentence here at Plainfield Correctional Facility. So we have participated in a program called Inside Out, where we attend class every Friday at Plainfield Correctional Facility and get to work with students from Indiana University and also students from Plainfield Correctional Facility. Shane recently read the book Transforming Trauma by James Corden. We'll be drawing a lot of ideas and concepts from this text that was shared by us and by Shane and his takeaways from it. Harm is like a cut. Trauma is like a scar. Harm is like a cut. The incident that caused us harm may only last a minute. It may sting, burn, or slightly be physically painful, but it is only a cut. It will heal in time. In Transforming Trauma, Dr. Gordon argues, only when we are stuck in the emotions, when we replay them endlessly, like a needle jumping in the scratchy groove of a vinyl record, are we likely to warp our minds, damage our bodies, and distort our relationships. It is chronic, powerless frustration and smoldering, life-spoiling resentment that do the greatest damage. Harm is like a cut. Trauma is like a scar. The cut has healed. There may or may not be any visual, physical reminder of the harm. The scars associated with the trauma of sexual abuse, however, are subdermal. They eat at you psychologically and emotionally. Dr. Gordon insists sexual abuse intimidates, shames, and isolates those who are abused. Violence or threats of it, fear of exposure, and blame and guilt all compound the isolation and loneliness. I don't talk about being sexually abused at age five very often. As a result of discussing this topic now, I notice that my heart rate has increased, I feel clammy, my breathing has become shallow, my thinking is questioning. Do I want to talk about this stuff again? Will anyone else think it will benefit them? You know, why are you writing about this? You know it could have actually been your fault, which is a question I hear most people ask. My thoughts are firing rapidly, but I struggle to make a decision. As this is my fight or flight response, and has been triggered by residual emotional scars of my traumatic past. Triggers are events, words, actions, or perceptions that in some way resemble a past trauma and awaken it. Trigger is such an appropriate word. Once the trigger is pulled, the consequences burst open in us like a fragmented bullet, bringing back all the physical feelings, all the emotions of earlier trauma. The cut from the initial harm has been healed. The scar from the trauma may not heal. The cut from the initial harm has healed. The scar from the trauma may not. Dr. Gordon stresses, trauma's most exquisite torture is the hopelessness it brings, the fear that its pain will never end, that it will always be assailed and limited by its terrors. He then goes on to explain ways to combat trauma by providing us with three attitudes we can demonstrate, hope, gratitude, and forgiveness, and three behaviors we can incorporate soft belly breathing, expressive meditation, and connecting with others. Hales, as a senior studying law and public policy, you must see this from both an individual perspective as well as a systematic perspective. What do you see as the possible solutions in this situation? So from an individual perspective of how I have looked at crime, being someone who studied it throughout school, I at first had a very strict view of crime, specifically like how people should be punished and those types of things, and how I saw it serving the victim. Um, since then, I've realized not only as a survivor myself, but as someone who wants to advocate for people who have been abused and for those that do the abusing as well, 
Um, I've definitely come out with a different perspective, not only from school, but also from this program specifically. I realized that incarceration really doesn't make that much of a difference in providing a solution, not only to victims and survivors, but also to the perpetrator at times. Um, Solutions that I do see would be improving mental health services, um, spotting abuse much, much earlier, and being able to learn and talk about those things and grow from it. Rather, I think a lot of the times it is silenced, which ends up just in a cycle. Sylvie, as a sophomore studying psychology, how can you relate this topic to other classes you have taken? So coming from the perspective of a psychology student, I've learned a lot about memory and how trauma can be embedded in our memory, specifically with short-term and long-term memory. Um, Short-term memory is something that doesn't last very long in the brain and um, eventually kind of disappears. So similar to how harm is like a cut, it kind of disappears, you kind of forget about it. But trauma is more like long-term memory. It is a scar and if you kind of are in similar situations to when that harm was perpetrated, it repeats itself and you you become more aware of how you felt when that trauma was perpetrated and you kind of are able to repeat how you felt and commit that harm towards other people. What do you guys think are the root causes of sexual assault and sexual harm? It's a product of sexism, um, of entitlement, the bigger structural issues. Then capitalism stimulates the industries, the sex trade industries, the videos. So as stated earlier by Shane and a lot of his stories that he shared already with us, we can see how the cycle of trauma just repeats itself through people. We just cause the harm to one another. And majority of the time that comes from systems that we are within. So in Transforming Trauma by James Gordon, one of the quotes that Shane took down was that trauma can challenge our ideas about who we are and why we are on earth. Often enough, it compounds our pain and confusion with feelings that we've been responsible for what happened to us. Basically, if we don't share our pain, it compounds, our loneliness multiplies, and our suffering prolongs our devastation. This in turn makes us more vulnerable to future trauma and can be traumatizing to our children. Trauma creates more trauma. By not addressing the trauma that you've inhaled, especially as a child, that trauma then reiterates itself onto others. So Shane says that what he sees this doing to survivors specifically is that trauma causes us to blame ourselves and pushes us away from those that actually support us. This in return allows us to not get the help that we need and deserve. Blaming ourselves is a part of shame. So it's often thought that trauma only affects our minds, but in reality, trauma can affect a lot more. Internally, trauma disrupts our digestion as predictably and as dangerously as it does our thinking and feeling. As gross as this might sound, trauma can actually create constipation or diarrhea. Something that was really crazy to me to find out was that under stress, the population of good bacteria decreases and the number of pathogenic infection causing bad bacteria increases. It's apparent that trauma obviously does way more to our bodies than we even actually notice, especially on the insides. Trauma obviously isn't always outward pain, and a lot of the times we can't see it. You definitely don't know when people are feeling trauma, for the most part, but it's even more apparent that we should be mindful of one another because they may be experiencing trauma that's affecting their entire bodies. It isn't just within our minds. Trauma affects our entire body. 
Trauma, as you know, creates storms of fear and aggression in the amygdala and the sympathetic nervous system. Trauma binds us to that painful past and makes us continually apprehensive about the future, and trauma may override our intrinsic urge to connect with others, forcing us to fear and avoid those who care and concern, which could help us heal. I say harm is a cut. However, trauma is like an open wound, which can either take time to heal or damage you eternally. eternally. Yeah. Mm. Internally or eternally? Eternally. Yeah, whatever you put down makes perfect sense. Um, the damage is internal like that, and, and it can last forever. Trauma's most exquisite torture is the hopelessness it brings, the fear that its pain will never end and that we will always be assailed and limited by its terrors. It's always present in the back of our mind. It, it reduces us. And the way we get out of that, according to this author, is with hope, gratitude, forgiveness, and then there's some meditation aspects and stuff like that where she had asked about treatment. But you're, you're dead on point where you say that this trauma can last forever. It's eternal. Yeah, especially watching the person that harmed you walk free and you never know if this situation gonna happen again right. while you're living on your daily life. So that brings a lot of trauma. Psychologically and, as yes, well. Yes, and it eats you up like, you know, that's why a lot of these uh, people that's getting assaulted commit suicide and stuff like that because they always thinking about who's around the next corner. Yeah. Is he gonna be outside or she be outside when I walk out the door every day? So all that correlates to trauma, it, it's like a, it's, it's damaging you internally because it's eating you up inside. You and care it, no it, it, it steps on your, your like chest, it kicks the air out of you. Um, at the Indiana State Prison when I was stabbed, I was stabbed multiple times. I never had a conversation with the guy, never, didn't even know him. He was looking for an unaffiliated white person that he could stab so that he could get out of the unit as a check-in move. Everybody knew it. That right there opened my eyes because the victim in my case, I had never spoke to before. I never had an argument with. Random acts of violence, you know? So when I became the victim, I knew how it felt. And I was able to, and I was able to process that more. And I sat there on lockdown and it did feel like you say it was gonna last forever, the effects of that trauma. Um, it felt like my spirit was stepped on. Um, right. And I kept saying, why me? What did I do? I didn't do anything to this person. I didn't do anything to deserve this. But if you go rob a grocery store, that clerk never did anything to you. You know, if, if you're whatever drive-by shooting and you hit an innocent person, that person never did anything to you. And, and I had to deal with that from a victim perspective. And uh, it, it really, it bothered me that I had done that to someone else and made them feel that way and that they could still be feeling that way. Let's say this person comes to this facility right. and you know he's here. Yes. Just that thought process right there will bring a lot of trauma. What would I do in these nice little situations yes. if I seen? Yes. The mental process, the yeah. thinking about it now, because yeah. that happened in 2016. It'll be you up like we're still eating. We're so, yeah, and that's where that trauma comes. Yeah.
The Inside Out program has allowed some of us to address our traumas and helped us realize the bigger institutional causes of trauma and how that impacts us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to our program. We hope that you now have a better understanding of the effects of trauma and a few ways to combat them. Um, I know all of us are very thankful for the Inside Out program. I, it allowed us to learn from one another. It also allowed us to gain experiences and to be able to address a lot of things within our lives. So as we stated earlier, just to reiterate, harm is like a cut and trauma is like a scar. But it is important to remember that scars do heal eventually. They just take a lot of time and care. So remind yourself that trauma is not your fault, but it is important to remember that you can grow and heal from it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed our conversation. Thanks to Dr. Siegel and her students for all their hard work on the show. This has been KiteLine. Email us at kiteline at wfhb.org or send us a letter at kiteline, care of WFHB, 108 West 4th Street, Bloomington, Indiana, 47404. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.